welcome to the Beer Ivana podcast, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Another beautiful day in the heart of Beervana, Portland, Oregon. Yeah, a little cloudy this morning, but it's clearing off. Looks like it'd be a great day. Perfect. So welcome to the Beer Vana Podcast. With me is Jeff Allworth, author, author of the Beer Bible from Workman Publishing, due out in August 2015. Get your copy now at pals.com or at Amazon, and also Cider Made Simple from Chronicle. And with me is Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University, as well as a research fellow at the Center for, for Applied Microeconomics Research this is a, a complex name you have here, uh, at the Sao Paulo School of Economics. You can no. call that C-Micro is what they do. Oh, C-Micro. Brazilians love acronyms, and they love pronouncing all acronyms. So, Oh, look at that. We learned something new here. C-Micro. So he's a research fellow at C-Micro, uh, and you can also find him blogging at Beeronomics. And, of course, Jeff is the Beervana blogger, so find his blog at Beervana. So today we're going to do something a little different. Jeff, uh, we talked in uh, a previous pod about our trip to England when you were doing research for the Beer Bible. You also hit some of the other uh, key beer spots around the world. You went to Belgium, you went to uh, uh, Germany and Czechoslovakia, and of course you went to uh, Italy. I <laughs> yeah, just rolls right off the tongue. It's a famous beer country. Uh, yeah, I went to Italy. Actually, it was not in the plan. I, I did two trips. I did an ales trip and then a lager trip. Um, and I tacked Italy on to the lager trip because all the Belgians, the Belgian breweries, kept saying, you got to check out Italy. Italy's really got it going on. So I decided to uh, take one for the team and, and go to that hellhole of, uh, of Italy. And it turns out they have a, a very vibrant and uh, quickly expanding craft beer scene there. And so last week you had a chance to spend a couple of days with the guys from Birificio. Italiano. I think that's correct. Uh, did I get that right? Yes. Uh, and they left uh, you with a bundle of beer. So today we're going to use this as an opportunity to both uh, taste a bunch of um, new Italian craft beers and also just talk about uh, the beer scene in Italy. Excellent. Um, yeah. So people, and including me, didn't, don't really realize that Italy is such a, a famous, uh, or such a great beer country, but in, in just 20 years, they really got started in the mid-90s. They've become, in my view, one of the best brewing countries in the world. The best beer there is some of the best beer I ever had. Um, oh. And just to clarify, it's not a hellhole. Most of the breweries are up there in northern Italy, and when I was driving around, I could I was staggered at how gorgeous it was. It <laughs> yeah, just northern Italy is, it's actually all of Italy is beautiful. Yeah. In my trip to Italy, I've never had a beer. I've only uh, had wine, and that's uh, as you might expect, because Italy is known for wine. In fact, it's the number one wine-producing nation in the world. Right. Uh, so it's interesting to to know that there is a, an expanding uh, craft beer industry there, culture there. Uh, it's hard to get real data, but there's a lot of anecdotal data floating around. Uh, I read that there is somewhere between 500 and 600 craft breweries. You heard that. Yeah, Agostino Arioli from Birificio. Italiano said there were 800, mm -hmm. uh, and there's not uh, there's not a, a a thing like the Brewers Association which tracks it in Italy, so it's hard to get a number on that. They're they're really tiny though. Even big breweries uh, in in Italy are, um, you know, two or three thousand barrels. Maybe the biggest one is probably like ten thousand barrels. So they're really small little guys. Right. And as an economist, I'm always of course interested in what drives this expansion in craft beer. Uh, one thing to note is that the consumption of wine in Italy has gone down dramatically in the last few decades. 
uh, I read that uh, in the 1970s, the per capita consumption of wine in Italy was 29 gallons. Uh, and now apparently it's down to 13 and a half gallons per year. So it's going down fast. Uh, I don't know how much we can attribute the, cra the growing craft beer uh, culture with um, that decline in, in, in wine consumption because, you know, for example, there's sort of overall beer consumption in the United States is going down, but craft beer is going up quite rapidly. So part of this, I think, might just be sort of the generational change in drinking trends. Right. I think uh, one thing that hearing those stats, it reminds me the same thing is happening in Germany with beer. Uh, beer consumption is going down and younger people are moving away from beer to uh, lighter beverages and cocktails. And so you see the same thing happening there. Um, I, my, I would be surprised if beer is having a, a huge influence in the wine market just because it's so so small right now. Um, but it, I think, as within other countries, it, it does have that quality of looking hip and new. And I think that, you know, when I was visiting some of the breweries in, uh, in Italy, that there were a lot of young people there and there was some excitement around those places. Yeah, and one of the things about the high-income countries in Europe that's true demographically and true in Italy as well is it's rapidly aging country. Uh, and so as the uh, older population gets older and um, uh, the younger population that's filling in is smaller, you might expect that overall wine consumption is going down just, just because of that. People who are more used to drinking wine have um, are, uh, are passing away. Um, I did a little research. I went onto the internets ah. uh, to see if I could find out some, some information. <laughs> as, I, as I said, I found a lot of anecdotal stuff, not a lot of good data as an economist. I love data, but uh, I had... I did find this one interesting quote from a wine writer uh, named uh, Anthony Giglio. Um, and he says that, quote, it might seem preposterous, but I think Italy's young people see wine as their parents and grandparents' drink of choice. They're looking for something more exciting, perhaps, like the amazing craft brews being made all over Italy now. So I do think that there's uh, some anecdotal evidence that sort of the young people are looking for something new, like something different, and craft beer is sort of filling in that niche and perhaps even... Uh, starting to create a market and create a demand just like we saw happen in the United States a couple decades ago. Yeah, I mean, beer, you know, one thing that's great about beer is uh, unlike wine, you have a lot more variability. You can, it's made from a recipe, so you can do all different kinds of things. So it has a kind of a, a quality of, uh, uh, you know, like 31 flavors ice cream. You can always adapt to the market and offer new and exciting tastes. Yeah, and as a as a subject for a future pod, we should talk about that as well. Uh, something I have on my list. So um, this article pins the start of microbreweries to 1996 with Teo Musso starting Baladin. Mm -hmm. Is that uh, your understanding as well? Yeah. Uh, Teo Musso. So maybe, maybe while we uh, get into a little history, should we crack one of these beers? Because it'll lead us right. Yeah, we have history. five, so we should get started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's, so actu there's actually eight. I pared them down. I got rid of the barley wine and a couple others So uh, to make this. Uh, know, since it's lunchtime, possible. getting rid of the barley wine, I, I have no complaint there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that was a, a wise decision. Uh, yeah, let me let me crack this first beer. It's called Tipo Pills, and it's uh, from Italiano, uh, Agostino Arioli's kind of flagship beer. Um, it is a dry hopped uh Pilsner mm -hmm. that's fermented a little bit warm, so it's got a little bit more fruitiness, and it is uh, a really accomplished beer that uh, was so influential that when Matt Brindelson tasted it, it, it really set him on fire, and it's what 
inspired him to make uh, Pivo pills. So it's oh, a, okay. you know, uh, Interesting. The, the, yeah, the first sign of influence that we have on the American market comes from Italy, perhaps. So, so geographically, obviously, the, the German and Czech beers are the most proximate to, yeah. northern, to northern Italy. Uh, so certainly, I would imagine that's a big influence. It is. And in fact, uh, Agostino um, has a connection with the Tetnang hop region. And he grow he uh, goes up there, and this is pretty cool. He does uh, fresh hop beers, so he drives up. It's three hours away. Ah. Uh, yeah, it's very cool. He drives up there and picks up some hops. Has the guys at the brewery ready to go, so when he pops in, um, they they throw them in the uh, throw in the wet hops and yeah, throw off in the they wet go. Hops. Huh? So well, that's fantastic. That's yeah. uh, just like we do. Yeah. So the two the two main people there were. Uh, uh, Teo Musso, who we'll get to in a, in a second, and and this guy, Agostino Arioli, and he started the lot, there's kind of two tracks to begin with, and uh, Agostino uh, started the, the, the sort of German track, the lager track, um, when mm -hmm. he was starting to brew, he tried to homebrew in uh, the 80s, and there was, you couldn't even homebrew, there was no equipment, so he got connected in with German brewers, uh, and then he actually went to Germany and, and did some brewing there. So when he started, he was really influenced by, by the loggers. And then he made loggers. But just like in America, um, they didn't have any tradition. They didn't have pre-existing tradition. So he didn't feel compelled to follow any rules. So mm. he'd also gotten wind of the, the uh, dry hopping that the English had done. And he thought, ah, why don't I just dry hop this? That'd make a Pilsner really spectacular. Nice. So that's that's when he made this beer, which we should uh, give a try now. It's... Um, uh, a really uh, rich color. We just la our last one. We also did on loggers, so mm -hmm. we can remember those. Uh, poured in the same kind of glass. This one's a little bit uh, more golden than some of those. It's That's a very right. Rich it's color. A, it's very. It's quite clear and golden. Fairly effervescent. It's got a very nice bead. Mm. Very nice head. And um, yeah. Oh wow. It, it is, is a very. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say that this is from the bottle, but the. The aroma is amazing. Yeah, the dry hopping really comes through. He dry hops both during uh, fermentation and maturation, and it, I, I was really surprised to learn that he he put some hops in there while it's fermenting. Wow, that's really exceptional. Yeah, it's a really nice beer. So this is, um, if you were to compare this to an American uh, pilsner, uh, or more like a German pilsner. The, Yes, the uh, it it has that it has a real depth of hop flavor that you would not find in a in a German beer. It's mm -hmm. it's got a real it's it's more maybe more English than than American hopping, but it's really vibrant and it's kind of saturates the the flavor. Mm -hmm. That's a really good beer. It is really good beer. Before we go on, um, and as an economist, of course, I'm always interested in markets. Uh, is this beer being exported to the United States? Are his beers yet? His beers are being exported to the United States, but he makes such small amounts, there's not a ton of them. And this is typical, uh, I learned when I, after I traveled to Europe, that a lot of the breweries from Europe send their, their uh, beer to the east, it goes to, lands on the east coast, which makes sense, it's right. the closest port. So then it has a whole continent to get to the west coast. So sometimes you and I don't always get the beer that comes to America. <laughs> there are a lot of advantages, uh, beer-wise, to being in the Pacific Northwest, but this is not one. That's not one of them. Uh, I, and I knew he said when he was here last week that he did bring uh, a few. He sent a few kegs over of Tipo pills, and I bet it's really nice on 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 tap too. I I would imagine it's quite nice even from the bottle. So, 
What would you compare this beer to? What, what what does it remind you of? It's you know it's it has some qualities. It reminds me it has it it it's sort of like a cross between a German Keller beer and an English cask ale. It's got a little bit of uh, uh, I don't know. There's something about it that it's super sessionable. Augustino is really he he's really uh, committed to uh, session beers, and this is one of the things he he says. Uh, he wanted to create a beer that you could just sit in a pub and drink all day, and this is his perfect kind of sense of that. And um, it's got a it's fuller, it's a little fruitier uh, than a than a German beer. It's some of those uh, German Helleses and Pilsners are completely stripped down, and this thing is is just got more. It's just got more. So I don't know what would you say. Yeah, I mean the thing that strikes me right away is how hop infused it is for mm-hmm. a Pilsner, and I don't mean that in terms of being bracing or bitter in any way. It's just both on the tongue and on the nose, the hops are really present um, relative to uh, perhaps a more sort of classic uh, uh, Czech pills, although you know we get them imported as well, so perhaps they're more hoppy on when you're there in, in, the, in the Czech Republic. But uh, So, and I'll, um, well, I'll, I'll bring that up in a minute. Um, I, I do... While, while we're talking about this, so this is an interesting thing for me, and maybe I'll I'll crack the bebop as we're as I ask this question, mm-hmm. and you can answer it. Um, you spend a fair amount of your time uh, in Brazil, as we mentioned. You're at the you're a fellow at what's the thing? What's the at C Micro at, at, at C Micro? Uh, yeah, at C Micro, the Getúlio Vargas Foundation. Yes. And that's another Brazil. country where they're trying to develop craft beer. And it's another country just like America, just like so many countries mm-hmm. where there's loggers and there's nothing else. And you're trying to create a market out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how do markets emerge when you when you have something new that comes and, you know, you're trying to develop a market? How, how does that process happen? Yeah, we've already talked once about how beer is one of these things we call an experience good, which is you don't really know how much you're going to like it or how much you want it, or how much you value it until you actually try it. So creating a market with these types of goods really requires getting people to try it and sort of teaching them the value. Uh, so it's fascinating to me. Brazil is interesting uh, because there are, as you might imagine, like just like the United States, the, the original beer tradition in, in Brazil was very much a German one. And so what they drink there is mostly lagers, uh, some pilsners as well. And so there are two big influences on craft brew down there. One is the American tradition. Uh, there is a really wonderful uh, brew pub, in fact, in in, uh, in Sao Paulo that's vi- that's completely American um, in the sense that you know they build, they brew these big hoppy beers and they're very American styled. And even the brew pub itself is American styled with sort of American pub food on on the menu as well. And then there is another craft brew tradition which is trying to replicate the the German beers, but in a, in a sort of more craft and uh, more flavorful way. Uh, it's very difficult in Brazil because of the tied relationships that the big breweries have with mm-hmm. most of the bars and restaurants. It's very hard to find craft beers on the menu in any sort of big restaurant or bar um, in Sao Paulo, for example. And you have to go out and sort of find these little bars that, that feature craft beers. Um, it is becoming more and more common in the supermarkets, however, to find uh-huh. to find beer. So I guess the, that's a long-winded answer, but the short the short answer is that it really requires getting getting the beer out there and getting people to try it, and that, of course, is the trick, especially when 
all of the bars and restaurants are used to selling the the macro brews um, and have long-standing relationships with with those companies and those distributors. That uh, we just poured out the Bebock. You may yeah, have tell me that. a little bit about this. Uh, this is a. So I, ha- I, mean, I had I not had any of these other beers. I'd only ever had Tipo Pills. Mm-hmm. This is supposedly just the standard Bach, but I think uh, and I wanted to try it. A, a, a two of, two of his loggers here because I think it's important to see what how that tradition is evolving. The loggers there are distinct, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> this does not taste like anything like a German lager. Uh, this thing is. It's gorgeous for one thing. It's perfectly bright. And what color would you say that is? I'm colorblind. So. Yeah, no, that's a deep caramel, uh, slightly red. Yeah, I, it, really beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. Very beer. clear, lovely color. Uh, it has a quite a quite a bit of hop character, and again, it's it's got some some red fruit fruitiness. Um, mm-hmm. Catching a little of that. A lot of the German box are. Uh, they're, they, they're totally focused on uh, malt, and so they tend to have very heavy, uh, not heavy, but um, rounded malt character. A lot of times mm-hmm. they try to develop melanoidins. Uh, this mm-hmm. goes back to decoction when they would develop these uh, these kind of, not only uh, ri- it would create richness in the mouth, but this is much more slender. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, it's uh, it ta- it's a lager, but... Um, there's some real assertive fruitiness in it, and then the hops are are also a lot stronger than you I was would find. I say the fruitiness beer. lingers on my tongue. Yeah. Uh, what, and that that actually, right, when I asked you the question about the uh, the way markets develop, one thing that occurred to me as you were explaining that is, I think when you're importing any culture and trying to recreate it in your in your own culture. The market doesn't really take off until you make it your own. The, maybe this isn't true with everything, mm-hmm. but it's certainly true with beer. You know, uh, when we were just making uh, at the first at the start of the craft beer revolution, when people were making perfect examples of cask ale or lagers, mm-hmm. those didn't really set things on fire. It was mm-hmm. when you know we started to develop our own vernacular that that's when we got really interested in beer. And it seems to me like what we're seeing in these Italian beers, and one one way one of the ways that really distinguishes Italy from other places is they're really they're not making German beers; they're making lagers that are one step removed from German lagers. Yeah, I mean, I think I think my you know the parallel I'd make with Brazilian beers is the ones that got me most excited were the ones that were experimenting with uh, local sort of a local Brazilian twist, mm-hmm. for example. Uh, the obvious thing to do when you're in a tropical climate is to think about experimenting with tropical fruits. Um, not always successfully, but often coming up with some really interesting beers that were different and unique. And I imagine um, that over time, I, I would say that the craft beer culture in Brazil is still very, very young. And um, there are some established brands that have really sort of replicated the German uh, uh, styles. But I think in, to really become an indigenous craft beer scene, that's kind of what what uh, what you need, or at least what I think, uh, really sort of gets people uh, interested in 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 something that's different, something that's local, something that's unique and and uh, uh, familiar in the sense that they're 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 giving sort of senses of flavors that you used to. I was going to riff, and I have no idea. This is a bit of a stretch, but you know, perhaps you, you had mentioned earlier when you were ta- talking about Italian beers, the kind of fruitiness they got out of the hops. 
um, you know, in a country that's used to drinking a great based <laughs> alcoholic drink, perhaps that's, you know, a nod to their heritage. It's that's exactly right. And it's a perfect segue. You set me up perfectly to talk about the other major founding track. Oh, yeah, I had, I had it all planned. out. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> you're a professional. Uh, the other major track in, in Belgian brewing is a Belgian or in uh, Italian brewing is, a, is the Belgian track started by Teo Musso, who was uh, he, he started things in 1996. I think Agostino actually got started uh, a year later. Mm -hmm. um, there was another brewery called Lambrate in Milan. Uh, which got started in 96 as well. So these were kind of the founding breweries. But Teo Musso, uh, he got started in the uh, 1980s uh, in a little town called Piozzo, mm -hmm. which is in, I think, Piedmont. Um, but uh, it's sort of near uh, Torino, Kay. that area. And um, he started a little pub, and he's kind of a rock and roll guy. He sort of looks like a rock star. He's got long hair, very Italian-looking. Uh, ton of style um it, why so he started a pub there and then he got interested in beer and he started having a lot of beers on tap and then eventually he got interested in belgian beer and he thought maybe i should start my own brewery so he went to belgium and started uh talking to all the breweries there and when he started his brewery he made a, a, a he he kind of channeled the, the belgians instead of the uh germans mm -hmm. and he makes beers the same way they do in uh belgium with um uh, much, they're much fruitier, much more yeast accented. And the thing that is really distinctive is he has a warm room like they have in Belgium. So mm -hmm. it goes, all his beers are bottle conditioned. They go through a secondary fermentation in the bottle in, in a thing called a warm room, which is characteristic of the Belgian style. Um, and we have a beer here, so we don't have any of Teo's beers, but we have a beer here uh, called Fleurette, which I think is a Saison. So the idea when we s slotted this out was to use this to kind of explore this uh, this uh, track, um, one thing this beer does have is uh, a ton of stuff. It's got um, violets, rose petals, elderflower syrup, black pepper, and orange tree honey. And uh, you mentioned trying to make it your own. I think one of the things that the, that the Italians were really early on, uh, kind of again, a, a little bit ahead of the United States even, was using uh, fruits, vegetables, herbs, local stuff yeah. to accent accent their their beers yeah. i grabbed the bottle from you to see if i could read you know do the italian translation for saison but i don't know but it's called the joya uh, joya de vivere which i know enough italian to know that's joy of life so right. let's call that what the type of beer it is yeah by the way before uh, as we're doing this i suppose uh i should just mention that this bach while not uh immediately reminding me of german box is also exceptional. Yeah, this is we're two for two now on really, really uh, exceptional beers. It's I totally agree. It's it's a can we swear on this? It's a hell of a beer. Uh, I think we can, except that in, in for iTunes, if we're going to get accepted by iTunes, we have to beep it out or something. Okay, <laughs> we'll beep that out. And, and a, a, apologies to the tender ear. Because I didn't there. click the box that said uh, oh. adult language, which apparently you're supposed to do for iTunes. Hopefully, okay. hopefully we'll get on iTunes at some point. I don't know what their uh, if if they have actually anyone who actually listens to the pod will probably immediately get rejected for amateurism. But speaking of amateurism, as I was rushing to get that to the mic, yeah, I beer on the table. <laughs> so we have for the, for the uh, author of the beer bible. I think that's uh, yeah. Sorry about that. Fortunately, people didn't watch that gaff. Yeah, we won't mention it. That's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so, so anyway, that's quite a. This quite is called Florette. Florette. And 
birra fresca, non filtrada. One thing that you see all across... Non pasteurizada. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Uh, one thing you see all across uh, Italy, everywhere, I, all the breweries I went, none, none of them had a purely straight lineup. They all had experimental beers. Mm -hmm. And I was there in 2012, uh, so they were already well established uh, with this kind of stuff. So I haven't, this beer may not work. So um, this is, again, uh, uh, nicely effervescent beer, a nice head. It's got um, sort of a beautiful golden hewing slightly to amber color, uh, a bit hazy, mm -hmm. um, non filtrada, as it says. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'll be the, the inaugural taste here. I found that these beers didn't always work for me, but the ones that did were just insanely good. Yeah, that one's interesting. I'll, I'll wait for your take. I can taste, although I will say right away that, mm -hmm. I, that I taste the rose immediately. That's very hard to, uh, to brew with, I think, in terms of balancing that flavor. I like it quite a bit. It's quite harmonious. There's a lot of those, a lot of those flavors, and I thought maybe they would be uh, a little bit too much, but um, they're pretty harmonious in the way they, they work together. Mm -hmm. It was quite floral. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say that it's um, uh, in any way sort of out of harmony. I would say that um, I think I'm particularly sensitive to rose, and I'm ah, I'm catching it. I'm catching it a little strong. Yeah, the elderflower is popping for me, and it's mm -hmm. uh, a really distinctive. Uh, ingredient that I've used before, and it can overdo it. Um, it's very potent. One, one of the brewers. So this 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 idea of using culinary ingredients, I think, gets to the one of the aspects of of Italian brewing that is sort of uh, not even obvious to Italian brewers themselves. I think it's sort of like the the fish are unaware of the water they swim in. Mm -hmm. I would ask people because I kept tasting these beers, and again, if this was an American beer, this is uh, um, it's just four percent, and it's got all these things in it, and it's quite subdued. Many American herb beers are just crazy herbal; yes. they're just like smack you in the face. Yes. This one is quite balanced and rounded, and uh, I was a lot of these places at pubs, so I was drinking these beers with food, and I couldn't I couldn't believe how well they went with food. They're just perfect with food, mm. and I kept asking people, you know. What's the deal? Uh, how do you how do you pull this off, getting this kind of balance and harmony with the food? And they looked at me blankly, and f and finally I realized that um, they they couldn't they couldn't not think of food. It was just a, a ubiquitous sort of consideration. And that, so to ask them about that was beside the point. Right, a completely natural. Of course, you would think about food immediately if you're trying to make a drink. Yeah, I had to. I had to. I I really I I needed a quote for the book, uh, and I think I would use this for an article too. So I had to finally press uh, Augustino. Like I had to set him up to say this. Actually, we had to talk about America, and he's really familiar with American beers. And I said, you know, our beers are not so good with food all the time. Like these really pounding IPAs, they just overwhelm food. And I started to point all this stuff out, and he said, oh, I see what you mean. And then he gave uh, he gave me a quote. He finally understood what I was talking about. And then he he talked a little bit about uh, how how beer and food work together. And I think this is a key element of the way that the beer, uh, uh, the beer styles are evolving. So mm -hmm. why, don't, why don't we listen to Agostino here talk about that? Okay. Uh, in Italy, we, we grow up in families where you can spend hours and hours on Sunday and Saturday maybe discussing about the sauce, the spaghetti sauce 
or right. anything you, we are eating for lunch with all the family, you know, and the parents and then the relatives and so on. And we can discuss about food for a long time. This is better. Last time was worse. Uh, it, it's a bit too much overcooked or it's too uh rare I, I don't know you know really we talk about food a lot we care a lot about food and so this probably automatically um uh, require us to brew beers that can uh, fit with with our sense of what is uh, pleasantness what is uh, balance so that's very interesting. That's that, that, that's just a delightful quote. It is, uh, regardless of what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's a he's a great guy, and uh, uh, I would like to hear more about him sitting around talking with his family about that spaghetti sauce. That yeah. sounds like a place I'd like to go. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's move on. What do we have next? All right, now the next one is uh, the third track. This this will represent the third track, which came along after Italian beer culture kind of got started. Uh, and they became more aware of what was going on elsewhere. They got interested in hops and were influenced by the United States, of course. Mm. So there was the third. Uh, the third track is uh, hoppy American style IPAs, and what we ah. have, yeah, and what we have here is Asteroid Fifty Six O Thirteen, and it is described as a Cascade uh, hopped West Coast IPA. So. We will be the judge. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be the judge. <laughs> uh, yeah, and as a hophead myself, I'm I'm always excited to to try new interpretations of West Coast IPAs. Although I have to say that as I get older, I'm I'm less interested in in uh, bigger beers, and or maybe it just as I get more and more familiar with with craft beer and more interested in beers that use hops in ways that really bring out their flavor and aroma, um, which is really, I think, the... So this one is 6.5%, so it's it's uh, it's yeah. fairly robust. So it's, yeah, for... I, th I, th I think, so we will see, this one actually looks like it may be atypical for Italian uh, hoppy beers that I've had. Yeah, it looks uh, west coast already, or at least it looks northwest already, because it's... It's very dark. It, it's dark, and it's a little bit hazy. Yeah, and I wonder if there's some caramel malt in there. Mm -hmm. So one thing I found the the first uh, the very first brewery I went to was uh, this incredibly cool brewery called Lombrate. And if anybody ever goes to Milan, and Milan is spectacular, so you you should put it on your list if you're if you're headed anywhere. Uh, there's a little pub and brewery called Lombrate, and uh, it's actually in the neighborhood of Lombrate. And at one point I asked, uh, "So what's like what's it like to be a, a brewer in Milan?" And I said, "Oh, we're not brewers in Milan. We're brewers in Lombrate." <laughs> I thought, ah, that's for, as a Portlander, I really respected that. I I understood that what he was talking about. Um, but he had a beer called Gaina that was uh, so fruity that uh, the brewer there was named Giampaolo is so fruity that we were talking and I was trying not to uh, ask the question. I was hoping just to suss out whether he'd uh, put fruit in or not, but I couldn't. And so I finally just had to ask: Is there fruit in this? It was so fruity. It was really distinctive. Uh, apricot and uh, strawberry mm -hmm. and it was just really pronounced and I, I i loved it very different than an american style ipa no no um caramel malts uh and just uh it that berry quality the hops just pr i think it, it's a combination of the yeast uh, and the hops because many of the hops they use are american hops they also use uh, uh, uh new zealand hops mm -hmm. but um 
they really get flavors that we don't get here. So it was it was like American IPAs, but different. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's like an American IPA. We just the uh, the uh, that is not that the asteroid fifty six thirteen could be um, yeah that could have been brewed in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I haven't yet tasted it, but on the nose, it's something I would expect to get from any random brew pub in in Portland or in the Northwest. Yeah. Yeah, it totally tastes like a, an Oregon IPA. It's um, oh yeah, I mean exactly. Yeah, I'm trying to think that tastes almost. I know it's so it's so particular. I'm almost trying yeah. to find the brewery that it reminds me of. Like there's a beer. precisely yes, there is a beer <laughs> that's almost identical. Yeah. So this is actually not not actually a, a, such a great example of some of the hoppy beers they do. There's another brewery called Tokomato. and a brewer there called uh, Bruno Carilli, and he makes these amazing beers. That also he gets he he had this kind of house flavor that had it was bergamot mm-hmm. had a bergamot citrus quality it was its own kind of citrus uh-huh. so it was just really particular um, sometimes they would go towards lemony and mint very different this is just a classic American IPA yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not going to call this the the beer I'm thinking of but one beer that it reminds me of is uh, Racer Five from Bear Republic mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I, it is actually possibly a little bit more Californian than. Oregonian, yeah, um, yeah. but so, so familiar. Right now, that's the one that that pops into my head. Mm-hmm. So I would say um, I wish that were more like some of the other Italian hoppy beers I'd had, just because I think uh, it's more interesting to see the indigenous qualities. Um, and 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 interestingly, uh, Bruno Carilli uh, told me to- mentioned to me that he really hates uh, caramel malt. Mm-hmm. And he, he, it was a, an expression I heard other places too. Interesting. Yeah, they use Pilsner malts and, you know, a dash of Munich or, or something. Very pale, mm-hmm. light. And I think it goes back to that, um, that, that, w- the way in which it goes with food. Those beers are much more harmonious. They don't, they're, they're drier. They're just more food friendly. Yeah. But it's interesting, you know, I think that uh, the beer scene is, is great because brewers, borrow from each other and and copy each other and try things and so this represents uh i probably imagine sort of the first step in uh interpreting the west coast craft beer culture this is a a very authentic honest interpretation and i imagine that over time it'll evolve into something that's sort of slightly more local and more indigenous and more you know and different and and unique um i think it will uh and i think it, it it has uh, being, you know, we saw this in Europe too. The influence of New Zealand hops is almost equal to the influence of American hops. So yeah. that alone, be, just because the proximity, that's right. Um, that alone makes their character somewhat different. So then you add differences in, in yeast and malt, and uh, you're not you're not too long before you're they're they're tasting their own way. Yeah, we've had uh, four beers now from Birificio Italiano. And I will say that they are all four exceptionally well-crafted beers. Yeah, they're good. And this is uh, so I, I, you know, I did some research beforehand and, and really tried to go to breweries that had been highly recommended. And I, I found this. Uh, w- th- this was not. This is not atypical. Uh, Tokomato was great. Lombrate was great. Um, there was this brewery I want to talk about just so I don't. There's a uh, so I don't miss this. Oh, Baladin, of course, is, is great. Mm-hmm. And people. Uh, that's the 
view most people would have liked are likely to have had if they're from America. Um, but there's the, the, they're also getting the sour beers. And um, that is one of the most interesting things because their sour beers are the most influenced by the wine culture. Right. And there's this one brewery uh, called Beer Bear. Uh, is that the name of the brewery? Lover Beer. Sorry. Beer Bear is the, the beer. Mm-hmm. Um, Lover Beer is the name. The, the guy's name is Walter Lovier. Love, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Um, I wouldn't know. And so, like, uh, his last name is, is Love Lovier, so he love her beer. He's really into puns. It's not maybe <laughs> his greatest <laughs> contribution to beer. But um, he he did this fantastic... Either that, he was a really big Loverboy fan. <laughs> it could be. He's about the right age. <laughs> and we've just dated ourselves. <laughs> or I've dated myself. Yes. Well, I'm, of course, much younger than you are. Um, he makes a beer... Called Lover Beer, or called Beer Barra, mm-hmm. which he uses uh, Barbera d'Alba, d'Alba mm-hmm. uh, grapes mm. to inoculate the wort. So he does a spontaneous fermentation by taking the grapes and just putting, crushing the, crushing the grapes and putting the, the must straight into the, uh, the beer. It spontaneously ferments, and he gets a. It's I think it's something like twenty five percent grape juice, and and uh, the rest is wort. And it was one of the best sour beers I'd ever had in my life. It was extraordinary. It had a ton of esters. It was acidic, but not super sour. Um, the funk was pretty restrained. He has he he purchased some fooders and he he uh, so he uh, wood ages it and it was just spectacular. And I think it's a classic example of a local kind of expression that you wouldn't you know Americans probably wouldn't have thought to make it that way. But he's right there in the wine country. There are grapes all around his yeah. where, near where he is and. Uh, you know, I think it was just kind of a fantastic. Take. And where and where was that? Where where is he located? He is located here. We'll pour this again in that. I think uh, northern Italy region. Northern around Italy. Turin. I'm trying to remember the name. It starts with an M, but it's near. It's near Torino. But that's. What I'm just thinking because you know, there's a lot of. We have a hard time encountering these beers uh, locally, but there's a lot of people who go. And do vacations and think about beer, and we'll, we'll vacation through Belgium so that they can try the beers. And so this is a a, a a new destination, perhaps, to think about if you're interested in sort of I don't know I don't want to call it beer tourism, but it, and if you want to sample local beers uh, in your trip, you might not have thought of Italy in the past, so you might want to think of especially northern Italy now. It's really true, and it's it's pretty small area, uh, a little bit north of Milan, Milan, and then kind of a triangle if, with Milan as the top point on the triangle uh, below it. You can hit uh, dozens of breweries. There's dozens of breweries around there, and all the ones that I talked about are in that region because I was only there for like five days, and I had to bomb through Italy fast in my sweet Renault. And you can learn, imagine, more about these uh, beers and breweries in the Beer Bible when you, it comes out. Well, th- funny you should mention that. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. We have a whole chapter on Italy in the book. In the book, so uh, I think it'll uh, talk a little bit more about that, and you can hear more about some of these breweries that I have only touched on briefly. Yeah, excellent. So let's turn to the last beer here. This is an interesting. First, it's got a great label. Uh, it has a black raven. Um, on the label who's in his uh, beak is a key and it says in English blacker than the blackest black <laughs> <Degredo>. <laughs> 
All right. So <laughs> tell us what this is. Well, what I uh, what I know about this beer is that it uses roasted hops, and I I heard uh, Agostino talked. He was he gave a bottle of this to Gail Goshi. We went down to the one of the valley and visited, visited the hop fields, and and Gail Goshi gave us a great tour of her farm. Mm-hmm. He gave her a bottle of this, and he talked about the process. I can't remember how he came across roasting the hops. It was a, it was one of those happy accident stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they originally went into a pizza oven, um, but now they actually put them in a microwave, which is kind of amazing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I, they, would not, I would not think of roasting in microwaves. I know, and you wouldn't even think there's microwaves in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Sacrilege. It seems, seems totally wrong. But um, I, it sounded kind of crazy. Uh, I, I can't imagine it works, but... He gave me this bottle, and I thought we'd try it. Yeah, so in Italian here, and I don't speak Italian, so my pronunciation is going to be terrible, but uh, on the label it says, Nigredo ha un segredo. And, well, I know enough Portuguese to interpret this, so it's Nigredo has a secret. Part of the hops uh, have been toasted, essentially, and and have created a, a, an aromatic profile that's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. It is... So give that a try. It is definitely uh, roasty on the nose. Yep. Um, so immediately I think of roast malt, of course. Yeah. That's all I know. And it's black, so it definitely has some roasted malts in there. And when they say black, blacker than the blackest black, they're not kidding. I mean, there's no light coming through <laughs> at all. <laughs> That's quite extraordinary. I'm holding... Yeah, and then when the and I can when I finally get some light coming through, there's a real sort of deep red, yeah, almost per burgundy, yeah, burgundy. You know what? That's really good. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> we weren't sure when we talked about it before the pod, we weren't sure what we were going to think of this. Yeah, period. because roasting plant matter can be a funny thing, but it, um, but what it doesn't have is in the roasted malts, you kind of get that roast on the tongue, that slight astringency on the tongue from the roasted malt. And I don't actually get that here. Mm. I'm getting the roast flavor in the nose, but really mild malt on the tongue. Yeah. I, I would be wonderful to try this beer without the roasted hops. So you could compare mm-hmm. them and see where they're contributing it. Cause they, they form a band of flavor that it's a little hard to pull them out. Yeah, and I'll be honest. You know, dark beers aren't aren't my uh, most favorite. I'm trying to. I was trying to think of how I wanted to characterize that. Um, I I enjoy them, but they're not often my first choice. But this one is really quite quite quaffable. <laughs> it is. It's it's uh, a lot of his beers are the IPA accepted have a very uh, uh, slender body and yes. pretty dry. They yeah. finish. They finish crisply. I, I know that he is. So we were talking about his, the the way he makes the tipo pills, mm-hmm. and he's he really is for that beer. And I don't know if this is true for all his beers. He really shoots for a low pH. He wants to have a a, a really low pH in his beers um, in the mash, and then even uh, uh, after the boil. So that may be a a part of the house character that we're getting here. Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely true. I'll go back to the floret. The the Florette is only a 4% ABV beer. Very, very drinkable, very dry on the tongue, but has lots and lots of this floral character. And it's uh, quite nice as well. So yep. this Nigredo, and 
I'm trying again right now, is really, uh, you know, I would suggest another interpretation, another Italian interpretation of absolutely, you know, a dark roasted beer, but in a different way and really quite unique and quite nice. Yeah. So every brewery has their own house character and every brewery kind of pursues their own passions in their own way. Uh, that's true all across the world. But here we have, just to recap, we have a, a, a kind of creamy, complex, very vivid, vividly hopped uh, Pilsner. We have a hoppy, uh, slender, dark Bach that doesn't taste anything like a German Bach. We have something that's not quite a Saison, but a, I don't know what it is. A f- yeah, I don't know. F- I don't know that I would. We talked about sort of relating these to local the local beers you might know, and this the floret we're talking about is it's kind of pretty it, unique. Yeah, it's I, it's probably to put people in mind of what it is. It's more like a, a wheat beer, like an American wheat beer. I don't know if there's any wheat in it, but it's kind of that quality, very mild mm, base. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's not sour. No, and it doesn't have a lot of rusticity in the the, the yeast. No. Then we have an American IPA, and finally a roasted hop uh, dark beer. So. You can see just in these these five beers we've had the sort of flair uh, and originality that that good breweries in in uh, Italy have are bringing to the the table. And I think, you know, when people like Matt Brendelson are impressed enough to go over there and, and talk to these guys, um, I think it demonstrates that they they may be new, they may not be very prof- you know they they may not be very big yet or very popular in their own country, but they're already doing some really fascinating stuff in Italy. Yeah, absolutely. And big thanks to the Birrificio Italiano guys for leaving us this beer. Yeah, and taking it's a pain in the ass. You and I both know this. Hauling <laughs> beer back and forth across the the <laughs> continent is really a pain in the ass so yeah, across yeah. the ocean. It is. So big. So thanks. Big thanks to those guys. Definitely. Now, next time you're in your specialty beer store, look for the Italian beers, and if they don't have them, tell your retailer to. Go search out some Italian beers and bring them because uh, this is my first exposure to them. And based on this, I mean, this I can honestly say, <laughs> free beer or not, this is five for five in terms of really exceptional uh, beers, beers that I would I would choose to drink and pay for um, if I were given uh, them as an option. So and nice contributions to the beer world, uh, not beers that you can just find examples of here. It's not like you can. There's some analog here. So that's right. That's right. That's with nice. the possible exception of the IPA, which they yes. clearly are trying very hard to, to replicate That's on right. the West Coast. So um, I would definitely look for uh, these Italian beers and try to look for the ones that they've sort of have their own regional flair on. So so I guess that wraps up our podcast for this week, Jeff. All or right. This, this week. <laughs> this uh, bi-week. Fortnight. We Fortnight, seem to be as the, the, putting we, these out fortnightly. This seems to be our, our schedule now, so we'll, yeah. we'll try to keep to this schedule. So thanks very much to listening for this. Uh, for listening to this podcast, uh, a few words about how to stay in touch. Uh, Jeff blogs, as we've mentioned before, at Beervana. Um, he also blogs at the All About Beer magazine site um, under the uh, Beer Bible uh, moniker. And he tweets at, at Beervana. And Patrick is uh, the Beeronomics guy, so you can find him at the Beeronomics blog or on Twitter at at Beeronomics. And by the way, I should mention I have absolutely nothing to do with a Beeronomics. Uh, 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 I was going to say Beeronomics seminar, but no, the Beeronomics conference, which is, as it, uh, as the name suggests, uh, a conference that discusses the economics of beer 
Um, no, they stole the name from me. So, but they did. Quite, you were the first. One that, <laughs> that's so. quite all right. They, they're in, welcome to use it, but just don't contact me and please don't submit any papers to me because I can't accept them for the topic. <laughs> <laughs> Although uh, that may give us some nice uh, podcast yeah, fodder. Well, yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> be, be be aware. We may talk about it on the podcast. <sighs> that's that's right. Uh, by the way, we didn't get any to any uh, to any questions from our from our audience, but please uh, keep sending in questions for future pods. We'll put up our topics as they come up. Uh, con connect through uh, the easiest way is through Jeff um, through the Beervana uh, Facebook page. That's right. We should have thrown that in there. That's where a lot of the stuff gets discussed. So look for uh, the Beervana blog Facebook page, which is not really so much about the Beervana blog, but just a place on Facebook where we talk about beer. Yeah, and if you need to contact Jeff directly, you can contact him at the underscore beeraxe at yahoo.com. He is the beeraxe and he speaks for the beer. And Patrick, who has another blog, uh, the Oregon Economics blog, which doesn't often talk about beer, is at uh, his email is oregon.economics at gmail.com. Great. So we'd love to hear from you. Send us your comments and uh, questions. Uh, and until next time, I'm raising a beer now. All right. Saúde, Jeff. Uh, salute. <laughs> salute. Salute.